This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're in chapter 24. Last week we looked at five signs of the end times, but there are two more that appear in Jesus' description of the end times. The disciples needed to hear this because their mission to spread the gospel to the whole world was about to commence. They needed to know, and we too need to know, that God has a sovereign plan, that he's in control, and that we can trust him for the end result. That's why believers can see what's happening around them and even be persecuted and killed for their faith and still find peace. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So let me invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 24, verses 5 through 14. We're going to read the same text we read last time. We identified five of those milestones to watch out for in the end times. We're not there yet. That is in the future, but we're going to identify two more today. So Jesus says this in Matthew 24, verses 5 through 14, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So last week we identified the fact that there will be wicked deception, he says. There will be many false prophets, many people claiming to be Christ. There will be worldwide affliction. He talks about wars and rumors of wars. There will be wretched persecution, tribulation. People will persecute believers at that time. Woeful defection. False believers will be exposed. They will betray believers. They will turn in real believers to the Antichrist. Remember, we talked about that man uh, last week. We'll refer to him again today. There will be wholesale transgression, lawlessness. Love will grow cold. But you say, wait a minute, Pastor. These are hallmarks of our time. And you are correct. They are. But Jesus says, in the end times, there will be the intensifying of those birth pains. Remember, The illustration of birth pains is that there is life coming. These are uncomfortable situations. They are intense. They get gradually closer to one another. But then at the end of that, there's new life. And he talks about the fact that Jesus will then come to earth and set up his kingdom. But let's talk about the remaining two features, or I should say milestones, about the end times for us to know and be encouraged. Verse 13, he talks about wonderful protection. See, the first five now, we talked about all of these ugly things, all the calamities, wars, rumors of wars, famine, earthquake, betrayal, and all of that. But some people will be supernaturally protected and naturally protected as well. What I mean by that is that uh, 
Remember, the metaphorical growing birth pains that Jesus talked about here, because of that, many tribulation saints will endure those things. Earthquakes, war, famines, betrayals, and persecutions. By the way, if you've never heard that expression before, tribulation saints, let me just explain real quick what that is. You and I are church saints because we live in a time of history and we became Christians during the church age. The day of Pentecost was when the church was officially inaugurated, if you will. And then the day of the rapture is when the church is out of here. We're all going to meet the Lord in the air. Paul talks about that in 1 Thessalonians 4. And then the church is no longer on the earth. But other people will come to faith in Christ during the tribulation of those days. The people who will be left behind, some of them will come to faith in Christ. There will be the tribulation saints. Many of them will lose their lives because of, of Christ. But some will be protected because Jesus says so in verse 13. He says, the one who endures till the end, he will be saved. Now he's talking about preservation of life here. Obviously they will be saved in, in a spiritual sense like you and I are saved. Today we are Christians. Uh, but some people will be saved, meaning they will survive the earthquakes, the famines, the wars and rumors of wars and whatnot, both supernaturally protected from God and naturally through the ministry of other believers. The reason I say this, and we'll go to a particular passage here in a moment, is remember that the Antichrist will make war with the saints. The book of Daniel, Daniel 7 verse 21 says this, Jesus is talking about many false Christs that will arise during that time, but the one who will take center stage is the Antichrist of the end times. He will make war with the saints, Daniel 7, verse 21 tells us, and also Revelation 13, verse 7. But listen to what Jesus says in the conclusion of this sermon here in the Olivet Discourse. Jesus says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you, you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we, we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. So what is Jesus saying here? Remember, during that time, many people will be in prison. Many believers will go hungry and thirsty because of famines. Many of them will be in prison because of persecution and tribulation. And believers will minister to one another during that time. And they will take care of each other's needs during that time. And Jesus says, when you are doing this to any of these brothers of mine, you are doing it to me. In other words, remember back in chapter 10 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, these are my brothers and sisters and my family, whoever does the will of my father. But he's also referring to the Jews because they are the brothers of mine. Remember, the, the Gospel of John says he came to his own, but his own received him not. So the Jews that will become Christians during that time, many of them will be protected through the ministry of Gentile believers. And Jesus says, when you are doing, when people minister to one another to that level, specifically during that time, the tribulation of the end times, is, it's as if they're doing it to me. In church, why do we know that? Because you and I are in Christ. You see, because we are in Christ, we are united with Him forever, never to be separated. We are in Him. Paul talks about this. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of, of Christ. 
And because Christ lives in us, therefore, when you act kindly to another believer, it's as if you are doing it personally to Jesus Christ. He takes it personally when you act benevolently toward another believer. When you speak kindly, softly, when you encourage another believer, when you meet a need, Jesus doesn't need anything. That is why the people asking those questions were surprised. When did we do that? And Jesus says, because you're doing it to the people I love, you are doing it to me. So Jesus considers kindness to his people a personal act of benevolence to himself. And that is so comforting for us to know. Because Jesus has not changed and will not change. So if you, a born-again believer in Christ, never to be separated from him, when you are in pain, guess what? Jesus experiences that pain, emotional pain, physical pain, spiritual pain, self-inflicted or not. Why? Because you are in Christ, Christ is in you. So your tears are his tears. When you are in agony, Jesus suffers with you. In fact, he is the man of sorrows, the Bible says. He's acquainted with grief. He knows exactly what you're going through. In fact, he's the only one that can truly say, I know how you feel. Because you are in him, he is in you. So your sorrow is his sorrow as well. Your agony is his agony. Therefore, when people extend compassion to you, they do it to him. Now here's another important aspect of this. We should be extremely careful. Let me say this again. We should be extremely careful. Let me say it a third time for emphasis. Extremely careful how we treat one another. Is that clear? We need to be extremely careful next time you think about assassinating the character of your fellow believer in Christ. Why? Because you're doing it to him. See, you would never refuse to provide for Jesus, would you? You would never spread rumors about Christ. You would never start a rumor mill about Jesus Christ, would you? You would never disrespect him. That would be the pinnacle of arrogance and rebellion. You would never withhold generosity from him. You would never withhold words of affirmation and words of encouragement from him, even though he doesn't need that, of course, but this is hypothetical. You would never blackmail him. You would never throw him under the bus. You would never insult him. Why? Because you are in him, he's in you. So therefore, don't do it to anyone else, much less to people who are in him. So my fellow believer in Christ, do not... Open your mouth to say anything negative about a fellow believer in Christ, especially in public. Follow Matthew 18 and go to him in private if there's something to, that needs to be addressed. Now, I need to remind us of all of that because we believers are masters at that. We wound each other all the time by friendly fire. And to aggravate things a little worse, we lace our ammo with biblical jargon to make it sound spiritual, to make it sound pious. Oh, have you heard? So-and-so needs our prayers. And there goes the rumor mill. No, don't do that. We do not have the right to neglect, to injure, to abuse, and to defame and ignore the people that Jesus loves. Because he says it very clearly here. This is my heart. So the salvation that Jesus talks about here in verse 13 is to be understood as preservation of life. And Jesus says it very clearly here. People's life will be preserved through the ministry of fellow believers. And that's, that's a great thing to do. I have been on the receiving end 
many times of that benevolence here, and you have too. So every time you pay somebody's bill, every time you give a word of encouragement to someone, every time you give them the benefit of the doubt or a word of affirmation and saying, you are a great brother in Christ. You are a good sister in Christ. You're struggling with this or, or that, whatever. But listen, let me come alongside and encourage you. I would never shun you. I would never abandon you. You are doing it to Christ. And that is how he's going to preserve life during that time in the tribulation of the end times. But let's talk about the second one and last that I'm going to call widespread evangelization. That We're talking about the milestones of the, the end times here. We talked about a wonderful protection. Verse 14 gives us widespread evangelization. By the way, that's another clue that we know these things are yet in the future. Because Jesus says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations. And then the end will come. Well, that has not yet happened. We have not yet canvassed the whole world with the gospel. Believers in Christ have not yet reached the whole world. There are people groups in the world that are yet to hear about Jesus. They need to receive missionaries sent to them to learn their customs, learn their language, and perhaps reduce their oral language to written form so that they can have a, a copy of Scripture in their language. Now, there, there, there's a lot of that to be done yet. Now, I am convinced also that other parts of Scripture here support a pre-tribulation rapture. I believe the chronology of the end times is like this. The next very event that we're waiting to happen is the rapture of the church. It can happen at any moment. And then the tribulation that Jesus talks about here will happen. Paul talks about this. Listen to this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be cut up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall be always with the Lord. He's describing that event, the rapture. It'll happen with the twinkling of an eye from one moment to the next. What's going to happen is raptured saints will leave their Bibles behind. See, we're not going to take anything with us when that happens. Family and friends will have access to our Bibles, and hopefully they will read it, and many of them will come to faith in Christ. They will become the tribulation saints. Many of them will, will be martyred for their faith, and they will understand, hopefully, the chronology of the end times that Jesus talks about here, and they will understand the urgency of gospel preaching. And when they understand the urgency of gospel preaching, then they will start sharing Christ with others. And that is why Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world. So people will be preaching the gospel during that time. Now, it'll be easier for them to preach the gospel from the standpoint of numbers of people to be reached, not from the standpoint of freedom of religion, because they will not have that. The disappearance of millions of people from the earth, along with wars, famines, and pestilence, and all of that, will drastically reduce the population of the world. So they will have fewer people to reach. So the question is, who are these guys going to be? Who, who are these people who are going to carry the gospel around the world during that time? I am glad you asked. Because the first group of people, the Bible talks about them as the 144,000 Messianic Jews of that time. Now, these are not the only people who will be saved during that time. There's a lot of confusion about that. These are specific Jews who will come to faith in Christ. They will be sealed by God for that purpose, and they will preach the gospel to people. Listen to Revelation 7, verses 4 through 8. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 
12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Then I ask you, church, is there any other way to interpret this than to understand that these are little people who will be 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel who will be sealed by God for that purpose? In fact, Revelation 12, 17 says they will suffer persecution because they have maintained the testimony of Jesus. That is evangelism. They're going to be doing evangelism, spreading the gospel around the world, and they will be persecuted for it. They will understand the urgency of the times so much that they will forego marriage and they will live a life of purity. Check this out, Revelation 14, verses 4 through 5. They are the ones who have not been defiled with women. It doesn't mean if you're married, you're defiled with women. No, they are people who are living a life of purity. They're not committing sexual sin, for they have kept themselves chaste. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, they have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb, and no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. So they will be not perfect, but they will be blameless in a sense that their testimony will be backed up by a life of purity and godliness. And they will communicate the gospel to people around the world. But you say, Pastor, are these the only ones? I'm glad you asked. Because the answer is no. There are more people who will be preaching the gospel during that time, we're going to call the second group the two nameless witnesses. Nameless because the Bible does not say who they are. In fact, only the Bible tells us just enough information about them so that we know that this is what God's going to do. This is what the Bible says, Revelation 11, verses 3 through 4. I will. This is God speaking. I will grant my authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days. And I'll let you do the math and see how many years that is. Clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, the olive trees and the lampstands come straight from the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, as indications of the fact that they were going to be operating by the power of the Holy Spirit, not their own power. But let's find out more about them. We're going to talk about their identity, their ability, and their notoriety. Okay, here's their identity. We know that the Bible mentions at least two men in the Old Testament that went to heaven without dying. Enoch and Elijah. Genesis 5 verse 24 and 2 Kings 2 verse 12. Now, could it be, the question is, could it be that God will send them back to earth during the tribulation of the end times to finish their ministry and experience physical death and resurrection? To go to heaven? We know they're going to be killed. Listen to Revelation 11, verse 7. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. Now, we have concluded last week that there will be two beasts. One is the Antichrist. The other is the false prophet who will be leading people to the Antichrist. Now, again, these are metaphorical beasts. They're people. In fact, the Antichrist will be a man. The Bible says a man of lawlessness, the son of perdition. So, so he's not a beast. He's a man. And, and he will kill those guys, the, the two witnesses here. Now, some people believe that the two witnesses are Elijah and Moses, and that could be two. I don't have the answer for that. But we don't know for sure. The one thing we know for sure is that they are not named in Scripture. So we can call them the nameless witnesses. And by the way, I assure you, they will not mind not being identified. Because their ministry is to point people to Christ, not to themselves. In fact, I love that title. I'd like to claim that title for myself. Call me a nameless pastor, a nameless witness. Call me a slave of Christ. 
Now these guys here, they will be nameless witnesses. They will fulfill their ministry and they will get out of the spotlight. But here's their ability. Listen to Revelation 11 verse 5. If anyone wants to harm them, then fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. This is literally a fiery preacher. Now let's talk about their notoriety here. Revelation 11 verses 8 through 10. Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city which is mystically called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, a couple of things here. The city which is mystically called Sodom in Egypt, church, that is Jerusalem. Because he says here, also where their Lord was crucified. He is referring to Jerusalem by its apostate name. Now, people will display the dead bodies of these two witnesses who will be killed by the Antichrist as spoils of war. Uh, they're not going to have the dignity of a burial, the Bible says, but they'll be resurrected. I'll let you read the book of Revelation for that. But check this out. People will reinvent Christmas, celebrating the death of these guys who tormented the earth. But there's another preacher of that time, a very unique one. There will be an angel doing some evangelism during those days. Listen to Revelation 14, verses 6 through 7. This tells us that the art and the commission of evangelism here will transcend created order because there's no other angel that is commissioned with the preaching of the gospel that I know about in the Bible. This is the only one. People are tasked with preaching the gospel. But listen to Revelation 14, verses 6 through 7. Then I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of water. So again, the Bible talks about angels and the ministry of angels. This is the only one that will have the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the earth during that time. Because Christ has commissioned us, people, to make other disciples of Christ and to uh, preach the gospel. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Acts 1, verse 8. But listen, this angel here, interestingly, will have a very short sermon. He will preach, he, again, not a motivational speech, not a feel-good homily, but the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what it means, the eternal gospel. It will last forever. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the three-point sermon is this. Fear God. Point number one. A command, not a suggestion. And it'll be very appropriate because, first of all, the book of Proverbs says, chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. And second, this message will be relevant to this audience of the end times here because driven by fear, these people will be tempted to pledge allegiance to the Antichrist. In fact, many of them will. Have you heard of the mark of the beast? Many of them will take that mark. Because of fear. Number two, second point of this angelic sermon here, give him glory. Now to give someone glory means to ascribe the highest honor and praise possible to that person. So the angel says, give glory to God, not to the Antichrist. It will cost your life, probably, but give him glory. And then he links everything to the holiness of God. He says, the hour of judgment is coming. Again, this is not, you know, how to have a better life now type of a sermon. This is judgment is coming, give glory to God, or else you will spend eternity in hell. You do not want to do that. Number three, worship Him. That's the third point of this sermon from this angel. Worship Him. Why? Again, because people will be tempted to worship 
the beast, to worship the devil through the Antichrist who will be the provider of all things to them. Now in those days leading up to the return of Christ, that's what Jesus is talking about here, that's the chronology, people will have plenty of opportunities to repent. Now think about the grace of God, church. This is the holiness of God and the grace of God united in the same scene here. Because this is a God who was going to come and exact revenge on the earth, but at the same time, He has given people opportunity upon opportunity to repent and come to salvation in Jesus Christ. That is the love of God united with His holiness in perfect harmony. And the disciples who heard this, these words from Christ here in the Olivet Discourse had to understand this aspect of the divine nature because they were going to pioneer world evangelism. Remember, Jesus told them, you will be my witnesses in uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So they needed to understand the grace of God, the heart of God for world evangelism. In church, if the heart of God beats for world evangelism, what else should we be doing? Why should we be focused on anything else? If we know very clearly that God has a plan for the world and His plan is to use Christians to promote the message and to go and proclaim the gospel, why would we be busy doing anything else? And that is why I will continue to torment everybody that comes here and preach the gospel to them and tell them, please be reconciled with your Maker before it's too late. It's, it's not too late. You can do it today. Just get on your knees right now and tell God, I'm ready. I'm ready to do business with you, Lord. I'm ready to give you my life and receive eternal life. Why would you pass up on such a great opportunity? If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast has provided you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace.